This is the Real Estate Guru 254 podcast and we are just rolling up on episode number two. Curious as to whether the launch episode qualifies to be called episode one because, you know, really the conversation was very generally just about introducing uh, the podcast. And while still we don't know the rules yet and I suppose it'll be just fine <laughs> to make them up as we go along so fine um episode two it is and um guys we are really excited to be doing this i think there are many parts of this journey we were completely unprepared for and had no anticipation of but we shall wing it until we get it right you know just for you guys my name is david mbatia founder of real estate guru uh for the benefit of you our listeners i describe myself as a real estate enthusiast but i am also much much more than that today's conversation is going to feature a couple of legal principles that are fundamental to real estate transactions and i'm certain well maybe more hopeful than certain that you guys will learn something new and that you will benefit from this conversation my esteemed guest today is monica mwangi she is a legal practitioner and i am reminded to refer to her as an advocate of the high court of kenya monica and i will be discussing briefly the principles of prejudice and conflict of interest alongside the principle of arm's length and their relevance you know of course in maintaining the integrity of property transactions hearty welcome to you monica please introduce yourself for the benefit of our listeners all right hi everybody my name is monica mwangi i am an advocate of the high court of kenya i practice as a partner at uh, mutanda law advocates we deal with a range of issues ranging from property acquisition commercial disputes employment and labor international law intellectual property all that so basically we are your one-stop shop for all your legal needs and i am happy to be here with you thank you for having me awesome you are most welcome on our podcast. It's great to have you here with me. Guys, first let me dispel with the elephant in the room. Uh, both Monica and I are experiencing stage fright, you know, being <laughs> as this is our first experience doing this. You know, but Monica is a natural. I mean, I see some sweat running down her forehead, but <laughs> uh, you'd never know she's never done this before. Other than that, seriously though, I'm, I'm just making a joke. Monica... You know, you are actually our very first guest, so I couldn't possibly overstate um, just how special of a moment this is for me. Thank you very much. Uh, we are looking forward to, you know, a, a robust engagement with you today. And of course, in the subsequent episodes, we shall be hosting you as our guest. Again, you know, thank you so much for just availing yourself, for making your time, for making the time to be here with us and, you know, generously sharing the knowledge that you may have with our listeners. So thank you for that. To get us started, maybe you could give us some insights into the principle of arm's length, you know, what it is, and especially as it relates to real estate or property transactions. All right. Thank you, David. This is not a very common principle, but it should be it should be something that guides your property transactions and property acquisition. So in general, it refers to a buyer and a seller act independently in a transaction, regardless of their relationship or regardless of any prior relationship that they may have. Meaning that the, the, the transaction is basically influenced by itself. It, the, the only interest that they have, they come in with in the transaction is to sell and buy the property. So Monica, as you spoke, 
I decided that um, I'd make Google my friend. So Google here states in arm's length transactions, the terms and conditions agreed in a transaction between two related parties must be the same as the terms and conditions agreed in a comparable transaction between two unrelated parties. So my presumption is that when you say that the parties engaging the transaction are acting independently and are only influenced by the desire to undertake the transaction, what you're referring to is that the respective parties are not under any undue influence in their dealings with each other and maintaining as it were arm's length between themselves so that they only do what perhaps they could or would have done irrespective of any association or involvement with each other. Maybe then perhaps you could explain to us in a bit more detail why is it important that parties to a transaction maintain arm's length when engaging in property transactions. Allow me to um, devoid from the land transaction. This principle is in the tax law. In the tax area, when you're doing taxes, when you're doing a business, where whether I'm selling you products or you're giving me services, VAT applies whether you're my relative, whether you're my friend, whether you're my colleague, whether you're my schoolmate, taxes. You don't you know you don't identify who i give the services to it is um level it's a level based ground in the tax if it's vat it's 16 percent if it's withholding tax is it's two percent you see it's level that the same same principle is applied when you're doing transactions but um, uh, the reason why it's here is because most people tend to for instance i'm selling you property david i know you before i met before we are selling you property you've been my friend for a while so when i'm coming here we bring that baggage to her to the table in which means when you're negotiating we don't put it aside it influences our transaction that works against you because when you're coming now again remember even in property we have tax there's stamp duty uh you know there's a capital gains tax we have that so when you assuming you sell me property at a lower price maybe you sell it to me at 1 million but the government valuation goes to 2 million the government will not care that you sold me the property at 1 million i would still have to pay stamp duty on the 2 million on your side you will have to pay the capital gains tax on the 2 million so you will have gone at a loss because you sold the property to your friend not at the at the market value but because it is your, your friend you're selling to so ideally the essence of these principles is to make sure that the only thing that is influencing this transaction is the market value you know what is it called the ground value the principle of where the property is not anything over and above that Monica, thank you so much for you know, enlightening us on, on some of these issues. Now, I don't know whether this might be a point of uh, digression and perhaps more relevant to the principles of prejudice and conflict of interest. But I'm curious to know if and how perhaps the principle of conflict of interest and that of arm's length in transactions interact, if at all, and in terms of legal representation would you suggest that these principles attempt to level the playing field since i have seen that it isn't always standard practice to find a buyer and a seller having independent representation well ideally yes because when you have independent legal advice you you're sure that uh, your interests are covered you know your interest basically are what comes first to this particular uh, advocate as opposed to when you have the same advocate uh, it uh, goes back to the same issue no but now this one is a different issue we call it prejudice and conflict or conflict of interest so i would say not really they're not directly linked because remember the 
principle of arms length deals with the parties in the transaction. An advocate, yes, an advocate is ideally a third party and an advocate comes in majorly after you have negotiated uh, your prices and your payment plan. I, as an advocate, I cannot impose on you how you're going to make the payment or how you're going to sell the property, right? You as a seller, you as the buyer are them. You're privy to those terms. You actually give me the terms. I can advise you, my job is to advise you that this property is way above the market rate, this property is way below the market rate or this you're not supposed to pay more than 10% as a deposit or 20% as a deposit. I can advise you but majorly, I my work is to make sure that uh, the agreement that you have put in has been put well in writing as you guys have agreed already. So I cannot impose the, the terms and conditions on you people. So the principle of arm length basically is on the tra- on the buyer and the seller, the parties in the transaction. Perhaps then we could we delve into that a bit as well, since it was on the cards that we would have a discussion around issues of conflict of interest, especially when they arise between parties who are not independently represented. Are there scenarios you find in the real estate industry where we see conflicts of interest arising when there is lack of independent legal representation? Yes, that particular question. In general, let me say, it is not unusual to have one advocate represent both parties. Remember, like I've said, in most cases, parties look for advocates after they've negotiated, after they have the terms and conditions, they have the payment plan. So basically, the advocates comes in to do due diligence and to put in writing the terms that these parties have already agreed upon, right? So it's not unusual to have an advocate represent both the buyer and the seller. However, it is not advisable, right? Because remember, when a transaction goes smoothly, then there's nothing to worry about. But please remember, even the simplest convincing transaction the simplest property acquisition can go wrong, right? So in essence, in general, basically, it's not unusual and it is not illegal and it is not, what do we say? Yeah, practice to have an advocate represent the two of you. But uh, the only conflict of interest actually arises when there's a dispute. Majorly, it comes in when there's a dispute. In case the transaction goes smoothly, I promise you, you will be well presented, you will get, you know, uh, representation as supposed to. But also remember that this advocate, despite as, as, as much as I am advised and or rather it is my profession to become impartial when I'm representing both you. Please remember that an advocate is still human. They can in even unconsciously become biased, right, to one particular client. And if in case of a dispute, you will feel the advo- the inflicted client will feel the advocate favored the other the other client, right? But please let us go back to the issue of conflict of interest. I mean or rather the, co- the issue of a dispute arising. The courts in in many occasions have refused advocates to give evidence in this particular in this kind of disputes so assuming david your party a and party b was buying a property and i was the advocate there is no other advocate in case a dispute arose between you and party b in most cases the court has refused an advocate now me to give evidence because my evidence would be impartial if i give evidence against a it's unfair to b yes it's unfair to you if I give evidence in favor of B. It's it's unfair to A. You understand? And and in essence, I was supposed to be the middle party. I was supposed to be impartial to the two of you. So there has been precedents that make this practice of having one advocate very you know risky. 
so so to speak i will give you an example of one case there are so many cases i could quote so many but i want to give you a case of francis mugo versus james mude in this particular case the advocate has drafted i think a lease agreement and then there was a dispute the court decided that the defendant wanted to call the advocate who drafted the lease as to give witness or rather to give evidence the court decided no the advocate the, the witness of uh, the evidence of this the, this advocate cannot be impartial because it cannot be used against the other party who also sought their representation so there are so many cases so like i say yes monica it's interesting to observe that in practice you know the court have accounted for the possibility that an advocate you know representing two parties in a dispute can be conflicted or can lack impartiality you know and therefore you know they would go ahead and proceed to i think the word you use is recuse recuse them from giving evidence which may favor or disfavor either party so out of curiosity you know i think this is a, a good time for us to consider different scenarios you know scenarios that would be specific to the property market and just for the benefit of the listeners to, to really try to understand how conflict of interest issues could potentially arise in everyday uh, situations and the first scenario thing that would be good for us to look at is one where an individual is looking to purchase a property and intends to pay for the same via a mortgage in such scenarios in Kenya the person acquiring the property is in this case we call them a borrower would approach the bank uh, to be assessed for financing and of course you know to meet the KYC requirements of the bank uh, among those requirements is that the financier uh, will direct the prospective borrower to their lawyers for the purpose of engaging in the transaction this is for the drafting of the sale agreement and so on now in such an instance it is fairly standard practice i believe but the same lawyer will be representing both the financier that's the bank and the borrower in such a scenario you know is it advisable that the borrower also seek his own legal representation especially in the likelihood that you know god forbid the relationship between the two of them the borrower and the financier you know turns adversarial and you know how would that work in practice the answer is simple yes because like you said the bank has given you the list of advocates on their panel it means it's basically their advocate please remember when you're taking a mortgage or when it's a basically uh, charging your property right they're, they're advancing you money so they have to protect their interests so these advocates ideally are there to protect them but please remember i know there's a place where they always tell you please seek independent legal advice they tell you always please seek independent legal advice people choose not to because of the of the of the fees implication but it is advisable Absolutely, absolutely. It is advisable. I, I clearly agree with you there. Um, Monica, clearly one of the downsides of failing to secure independent legal representation uh, is that your interests will not be taken care of in the event that, say, a conflict arises between yourself and the other party that you're transacting with. You know, I have also observed, as you're saying, that parties sometimes fail to secure independent legal representation because of the cost associated with it. And it may be understandable. For instance, you know, in the scenario we just looked at, the borrower not only gets to pick up his own tab, the tab that his lawyers will send him, but also he will be charged the fee levied by the bank's lawyers on the transaction. You know, still I think, just looking at the numbers, you know, what either party stands to lose, it would be clearly very imprudent, as you say, not to seek independent legal counsel. So let's just look at another scenario here. In contracts of sale for off-plan housing schemes, the common practice is that 
the home buyer is often compelled under the terms of the scheme to come you know under the ambit of the developer's lawyers you know uh, in most cases that lawyer is the one who's going to draft the sale agreement he's going to handle all the legal work pertaining to the specific project including issues around the transfer of the property and so on and so forth but in Kenya you know we have witnessed scenarios where the relationship between the property developer and home buyers has turned adversarial and in most cases uh, the home buyers are left legally stranded to enforce their rights when such situations arise would it be prudent nonetheless even in a scenario where you are compelled to say work with one specific lawyer would it be prudent for you to seek your own independent counsel separate from that of the property developer it is prudent but i also have to note in the recent practices we have had you know estates or other upcoming developments who insist on you not having a representation wait 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 just a second there monica um i want to understand that's an interesting one you're saying that a property developer can insist that a prospective home buyer in a project that they are developing should not seek uh, legal representation is that what you're saying yes <laughs> monica you know you just said yes and uh, i don't be the cynic but just given the state of the property development market today and in recent past and especially as regards off-plan property development schemes why would a home buyer assume the risk of getting involved in such a scheme without legal representation and again i throw out the risk that such a home buyer in the current market would face we have seen several property developers fleece home buyers of their hard earned savings through very elaborate and unscrupulous schemes so my question again if i encountered such a clause that would limit or for that matter exempt independent legal counsel for myself as a home buyer would it even be advisable for me to get into a contract to purchase a home from this developer on the face of it obviously no but um there the, the, there's always the pros and cons of this particular you know transactions the reason why this you, that clause is majorly in these big developers estates like these big major developers the reason why they do this is to because you see the back and forth between your advocate and my advocate your advocate sometimes it takes a while sometimes it it prolongs the transaction so ideally most of the time they're not trying to be unscrupulous they're just trying to make the the, the transaction expedient so the only you can negotiate and say you don't fine i agree to the terms of and conditions of your of your of your offer but i allow me to have an advocate on board for oversight right just for oversight because ideally what they don't it's easier to do transactions in bulk you see if i'm um, i'm handling this particular block of property it's easier for me to do the transactions to process the titles but in in case that's the condition then counter it and say fine i agree but i need to have my own legal advice or advocate for oversight and co- and just consultation so that means all emails you're sending to me all communications just copy them for oversight and for consultation before you sign the agreement if they, uh, you just take it to your advocate for oversight again for consultation so they can highlight the clauses that do not favor you or the the, the, the clauses that are uh, you know illegal or unfair to you then you can go back and negotiate just for oversight and consultation are uh, very interesting so if i understand you correctly there are incidences where it may be in the interests of expedience or perhaps for administrative reasons where the transacting parties should consider a unified approach to legal representation even 
if it would still be important to engage with your own uh, legal representatives for consultations and advice and perhaps even oversight. So in a sense, what they are doing is maintaining the integrity of the transaction by ensuring that any conflicts that may arise down the road can be resolved in their best interests individually, you know, while simultaneously not dispensing entirely with the idea of independent legal representation um, and ensuring that their interests are protected nonetheless. Mm, so Monica, maybe just one last thing before we close out. We know that when parties are acting independently and they have incongruent or dissimilar goals, uh, conflicts are always bound to arise and the relationship can always turn adversarial. You know, Asala wants to push for the very best terms, which <laughs> will look entirely different from the very best terms that those the buyer may be looking for and perhaps those were never dealt with at the stage of the initial negotiation you know sometimes meanings are imputed into words or misread or misinterpreted and then you know things could just take a turn so my question is is it always guaranteed then that independent representation is in the best interest of the parties in the transaction and therefore are there also scenarios where independent uh, legal representation perhaps can and should uh, be dispensed with uh, and i ask this question because i'm assuming that there are situations where you know where trust subsists between the parties and people could perhaps get across to completing a transaction you know without being bogged down or heavily mired in in what we, many of us may regard as legalisms and perhaps also because you know there may be some uh, benefit in terms of cost no i mean i may be biased in this answer because saying yes basically means advocates are unnecessary but <laughs> it's always good to have a profession a professional with you to give you advice i know people fear the legal implication the fees implication and um, you know it's a valid you know concern it's a valid concern but um like i said 80 percent of it can go right but what about the 20% that can go wrong because you decided to save a few coins and then you ended up buying proper, you, you know, yeah, you ended up in a ditch. You ended up losing millions because you decided you don't want legal representation. So I don't think, I would not advise anyone to proceed and buy property without legal representation. Yes. Thanks a lot, Monica, for, for just taking us through these legal principles and really just trying to get us to understand how those legal principles uh, especially interact with the real estate market. You know, I've learned a couple of things in the course of this conversation and, you know, I feel like this is perhaps a, a good place for us to wind things down. So I'll speak for myself first. Um, two of my big takeaways, um, you know, to always act independently and without prejudice when transacting whether I have a pre-existing relationship with the person I am transacting with or not, you know, because this it doesn't even stop me from getting the best terms possible. And, and then to always consider getting independent legal advice, uh, representation, irrespective of even the conditionalities that may have been placed upon me by the party I intend to transact with. So this has been good information possible information even for myself that i will use down the road so maybe before we wind down to this conversation i want to believe that you may have some final thoughts or takeaways you know uh, something that you want to share with our listeners something they may want to you know make sure that they mark down from this conversation that is absolutely vital that they hold on to for the future whenever um, they may be entering into into a real estate transaction 
thank you. All right. I think the conclusion would be at the back of your mind have the principle of arm's length. Make sure that your transactions are influenced by just the market value and the market principles only. Number 2, legal presentation is a must. It it might be it might seem like an, an expense that you don't need, but I promise you it saves you a much 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 um, uh, risk you know by having an advocate on board. Um, also make sure there's one thing that people uh, don't do when they're doing legal presentation just also do a background check on your advocate it is important to identify that this person that you're dealing with is you know qualified is an advocate duly yes is duly registered yes yes so in as much as we're, we're insisting on uh, legal presentation make sure that your legal representative is actually capable and you know a legal representative yes Good people, that concludes this episode of the podcast. We hope you learned something new. Send us any questions, comments, and feedback you may have, including any topics of interest you may want to have featured here. Of course, you know, we'd be glad if you share this podcast with your friends, rate it and leave us a review wherever you come across it, and subscribe to get notified of upcoming episodes. This goes a long way to support our work. Connect with us on our social media handles included in the description of this podcast. Do you have a story in the real estate space in Kenya that can inspire, inform and educate to feature as a guest? Please fill out our podcast guest form and tell us a little bit about yourself and the topics you would like to discuss. We would love to hear from you, so you just send us an email, you know, send us a WhatsApp message and we shall pick up the conversation with you. Lastly, you can support this production financially by contacting our marketing team to advertise on the podcast or through your generous giving by using the links in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for your love and support. We totally, we totally appreciate it. And catch you on the next episode. Bye.